bringing complex ideas down to earth based on their value, not group identity. This is The Daily Archetype. What's up, Archetypal friends? This is slightly a throwback to just a few days before the election, almost three weeks ago. And it was a live stream we did on YouTube. So stay tuned to those, especially next week, because some of the time I may not be able to edit these and get them up as soon as I want, but we might just do some live streams. I do have some really cool guests lined up and I will be announcing those once I know the order the next few days that I'll be interviewing while I'm in Seattle next week, as well as in December. Now, the reason I decided to release this here and now is because I'm trying to put forth this idea that I've discovered that what I've been getting at is something much deeper than I had originally anticipated. It's not to say some huge deep state conspiracy or anything like that, but I'm talking about a mass complex or a group complex or how the group shadow attaches to individuals and masses. At the end of this podcast, we talk a little bit about books because that's the only way you can really protect yourself from these deceptive complexes or shadows that suck us in. And if we only think in terms of like 30 seconds or five or seven minute videos or memes, we're just going to be lost in this unconscious ocean of here's all these sound bites and never get any real whole information. Now, I often say how I want to really try to stay out of the political landscape. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but mainly it's because of the polarity involved. If you take a side, which I don't even want to anyway, because I am independent, then you immediately get sucked into this polarity of not being able to properly be a part of the thought or the ideas or the consciousness being put forward because you have to stay on one side as positive and the other side as negative. I mean, we see this in our everyday lives all the time. Just like if you may know a married couple or romantic partners that are having their feud, you don't want to get involved in that polarity because you want to keep both friends. And if you take a side, you can lose a friend and maybe a group of friends. So the proper thing to do is to rise above the polarity and see the patterns that are playing out in both sides. And then you can see the values that are being destroyed and the values that cannot be destroyed and the values that anyone involved in it has the chance to save or keep burning away. That might sound maybe a little bit esoteric, but it is this 
idea that I'm trying to figure out how to put forth more straightforwardly because it is constantly being played out in our history. Now, I played that few minutes Alan Watts clip last week to kind of get into that a little bit, but it's actually even much deeper than that Eastern philosophy idea. It goes into the Oedipal complex, which people think of as Freudian, but Jung distinguished it not as the personal mother, but as the archetypal great mother and the feud between the individual hero and the great parent archetypes. This is often called the Ouroboros, which is uh, largely similar to the concept of the yin and yang. Only when most people describe either of those, the Ouroboros or the yin yang, they have a very surface understanding of it because it is this eternal drama that's playing out in the individual consciousness as well as the group consciousness on every level of every group. And it's not just the groups or the ideologies, it's the values that are at play to be updated and burned and reinvented. And the tricky thing about the way that Jung and Eric Neumann writing about them was they were doing so at the beginning of the Cold War. If you go back to this podcast, you might have to look down in the unofficial season category because it's not part of what's called season one. But if you pull up The Undiscovered Self, that was Jung's sort of updated rendition of how to get at the mass mindsets and all these isms and ideologies that were just getting into play at the time. Same thing with Eric Neumann writing The Origins and History of Consciousness. They were going off of mythology and thousands of years of history. However, what has played out since then, since the beginning of the Cold War up until our present day here in 2020, is around the world that dragon fight or that battle with the Ouroboros, as Eric Neumann puts it, or the group Oedipus complex. Now, again, I know that's a lot, and I'm actually starting to produce a longer series that will get more right at that. In fact, what I'm going to do is have some members of the Daily Archetype Facebook group that have volunteered to help read. And then we're going to go kind of piece by piece through what's going on. Because we're in the middle of slaying the great mother archetype. This constant battle of attempting to slay the values of the archetypal father and that of the archetypal mother. This is detailed out in Neumann's Origins and Histories of Consciousness. But it's also this thread through the bulk of psychology and mythology. But it's been a little bit under the surface up until recently. And now it's all coming to light as we speak here at the end of 2020. So I know that was a longer introduction. 
And this discussion you may hear now is just a, a long chat that we had. And I haven't really edited it down, but I thought some people might enjoy it. And I really do hope to get some support on Patreon or Venmo because as I do, I can try to put more time into structuring out these things that I want to put forth as far as the uh, mythological symbolism that's being played out in our 21st century lives. Please enjoy the episode. If you want someone to remain ignorant, just make sure they think in groups of identity rather than groups of values. Let's promote understanding, not ignorance. Behind the personal figure of the mother, there stands, as is evident from the symbology, what Jung was later to call the mother archetype. The origins and history of consciousness. Eric Neumann. Welcome to the Daily Archetype, a value-sharing economy. Okay, guys. Well, thanks for joining me. I just, uh, we'll see what happens with this. I just felt like getting together and just having an open chat with some homies like you guys. I think the other day when I kind of put out that post for it, I was getting, I think, a little bit frustrated with the fact that it's hard sometimes to have any conversation that doesn't get sucked into like third mind and the ideological possession. And, <laughs> you know, th that's why I was just kind of like, let's talk about. And I don't know if it was that day or the day before when like a bunch of people, not a bunch, well, at least two or three people are like hitting me up. Like, have you seen this Kanye West interview? It's breaking the internet. And then I finally saw it. And it, it's funny too, because somebody later was like, what's your favorite song right now? And I said, the Kanye West interview with Joe Rogan. <laughs> and that's really how the I look at it. song ever made. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, it, it's, it's really mind blowing because, it's it's one thing to like have those kind of rants, but to somehow rant and do so confidently, like it makes sense, is it, another thing. It's just like it's just a, a roller coaster ride. So uh, anyway, what's up with you guys? What's going on in your worlds? What are you, what are you guys curious about? What do you think? By the way, since uh, we three are here, you guys just introduce yourselves real quick. So my name is Connor. Um, I work with BJ Carpenter on the Archive, which is launching this week. We actually just got our lights in today. So nice. we actually, that was the last piece of equipment that we need before we could actually start recording. We have nice. a ton of outlines ready. Uh, look out for our flagship segment, the Union of Opposites. But basically, mm -hmm. um, I consider myself a podcaster, amateur mm -hmm. podcaster, and I am an aspiring author and just a creative person in general who's, who, who enjoys um, having these kinds of conversations. And I, ha I, have a, I have a general and innate curiosity that just seems yeah. to never be able to be fulfilled. So I appreciate you having me on, Isaac. Thank you. Yeah, anytime. Uh, James, we finally get the chance to uh, talk more than a text version. So tell us a little bit about yourself real quick and then we'll get into it. Yeah. So I'm James Janko. I actually met, I, I don't remember. I, I met uh, Connor a, a while mm -hmm. ago, maybe a year or so ago. I don't even remember mm -hmm. exactly how we met, but we yeah. ended up, we had some, some good conversations. We ended up doing mm -hmm. a few podcasts on a, on a few different issues that I think went really well. And yeah. even though I kind of, we kind of share the same mentality and the same curiosity, I think we're, we try to be, 
as much as possible, anti-tribalism and yeah. anti against the herd. Yeah, so even thing. though we kind of had, uh, you know, some differences on political issues, mm-hmm. um, I think we definitely learned from each other and had some really right. good conversations that way. Absolutely. And we had that in common. Uh, more of, uh, I think we both vi- value the dialectic over the debate yeah. Um, kind of, kind of thing uh, as, as genuine truth seekers, as opposed to trying to win arguments. So I, I gained a right. lot of respect for Connor there. Mm-hmm. And then through, through knowing Connor, I think that's somehow we connected with, uh, with you there, Isaac, and yeah. I've followed your page and your content. Yeah, um, I, you know, I'm a big Carl Young fan. I'm in no mm-hmm. way as well read on Carl Young as you are, but, but I definitely have an, uh, an appreciation for him. And uh, when I saw that you were willing, you know, looking for a conversation yeah. um, outside of the herd, that, yeah. you know, that, that really caught my eye I'm a, as a huge fan of Nietzsche and the, the Ubermensch mentality and you right. know, removing from the herd animals. Um, I, I appreciate that and your thought process. Yeah. So, uh, so thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anytime. And then, um, yeah. So b- before we got into introductions, it sounded like uh, at least Connor or probably both of you had some things to say after my little rant at the start were you gonna say i mean as it pertains to the kanye west interview i do find it interesting Mm. the way that he thinks right right right. and and, you know i think some of it you know you got to take with a grain of salt because just like you would with anybody who's not an expert in physics you 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 know they might know how to describe some some concepts within the realm of physics but you you know you kind of just have to you have to be weary but it is interesting just to watch him, you know, really lay out how his thought process transpires mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis. And, and you know, right. a lot of people call Kanye West crazy. I think that's probably true, but I think some of the greatest people throughout history were a little bit crazy. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying Kanye West is that, but he certainly produced, um, you know, he I, personally, I don't mm. love his uh, newer music. Um, I, I did like the new album a little bit, but before that, I wasn't really feeling it. I liked some of his older stuff, but I do think Kanye West is one of the greatest hip hop producers who ever lived mm. uh, as far as like, you know, being able to like make instrumentals and, and produce things in an effective way. But yeah, it's just interesting to see how an influential guy like that thinks. And I, and I, and I thought yeah. that was cool. I don't know if you guys saw this, but yeah. Joe Rogan actually said mm. he was going to vote for him on the next podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That doesn't surprise me. That part, I I, I thought about it. I'll probably Tuesday. I'll probably either write in Kanye or Rodney Norman, (laughs) one of those two guys. I would love for Rodney Norman to become president. Yeah, yeah. I I probably will write in him just so uh, he'll be on. He might be. Maybe he'll be at the bottom of the screen when they you know list all the people who got votes. It'd be cool to see Rodney at least get. Get his name there on the screen. Get get some recognition. Make sure it. you take a picture of it and send yeah. it over to him. Maybe yeah, yeah, of course. Get him on the show again. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so, as, as far as that interview, yeah, like like you said, he's he's well. The thing about artists, so like if you ever get to know or con- in contact with a really creative person, sometimes it's hard to have a like a good uh, like. If, if their mind is really creative and all over the place like that, like it often is with a really creative person, sometimes it's hard to get them to, you know, have that kind of conversation or like a long uh, conversation that makes sense. So, yeah, there's a lot of value in that. And just that Joe Rogan got all that out of him in a way that, 
you could at least make sense of it. Maybe you didn't make sense of it right off the bat, but you could you could definitely find a lot of you know creative truth in it, and uh, and and just a lot of things that I think a lot of people think, but they you know don't have the balls to say. Like even um, one of the points that he made toward the end when he's like starting to get exhausted, <laughs> he's like he he makes this little point about Pornhub. He's like. You know, sometimes I'm like struggling on Pornhub. I've been struggling since I was five years old. And then I look at, uh, I see something about human trafficking. And then I have to like stop and wonder, like, am I propagating the the human trafficking that's happening every day? And that's that's just kind of profound, you know, j- just to even like put that thought out. Yeah, but there. how are the, how is the two related? Uh, well, uh, like Pornhub and, and human trafficking? Yeah, like how does how does Pornhub foster human trafficking? Oh, I'm sorry, we're going I mean, off. But no, that, yeah. that's fine. Um, uh, so maybe not directly in the the <laughs> videos that you or I sure. might partake in, but yeah, a, a lot of what goes on in in some of them or some of the like webcam industry. Like, I'm trying to think about the book here, but like uh, one of the books that i really recommend is uh what's her name yoemi's park yoemi park in order to live which is this girl who escaped from north korea and then basically she lived in mm-hmm. uh, she was actually when when she did that she was human trafficked around uh, uh china for a while and then now i forget if she yeah it was, it was actually how she got out of china was because she was human trafficking as like a like, webcam girl, you know, like uh, one, I don't know mm-hmm. what they call them, e-girls or, or whatever. And that kind of somehow led to her getting out because she contacted somebody through that service who was like in South Korea that somehow connected her somewhere to get smuggled out of China across whatever borders to get into South Korea. But anyway, the point is pornography and the sex industry uh, – as that they are existing it's it's hard to say like if you go on and you like watch a uh regular video how much that that propagates the human trafficking side but there is a loose connection as yeah as much as you can call that a regular video i am not necessarily (laughs) anti-porn i know this is like a really big conversation right now that's on the internet um i just don't i think it's an i think the Easy availability is an, is kind of an epidemic, mm-hmm, yeah. and I think it is flavoring the minds of young people in a way that I don't think is is good. But that's 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 pretty much all I have to say about. Yeah, that. I mean, my only thing was just that he's you know it's a, it's like almost uncomfortable to talk about it even now. But my point was just that he's making like in the Kanye interview, he's making all these things that normally these ideas might rise to our head at some point. And then we just like suppress or repress or whatever, or just don't want to talk about it. But he's like, here's the idea. Think about this. Think about this. Think about this. And that's kind of the thing with like, you know, really creative people. They, they bring to the forefront these ideas that uh, sometimes we want to okay. not, not think about. I, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's what artists do. Artists, yeah. artists take things that we accept as normal and then, 
kind of distort them in such a way that makes you wonder, well, why do we think that's normal? What, yeah, artists. What and is it about us writers. as a species or us as a culture? Yeah, right. Terrence McKenna used to talk a lot about that. But yeah. and that's actually, I think that's the job of artists. Um, yeah. I don't know if you guys recently saw Bill Burr's um, opening or uh, closing stand-up special, but um, you know, a lot of people were denigrating it because they said it was kind of weak. But I felt like he kind of played the middle in a way, mm-hmm. at least with the SNL audience, in such a way that actually made them laugh while oh, still yeah. talking about these important issues and pointing out how ridiculous they are. So right. I think that's their job. Yeah, comedians, artists, writers, the the creative people, it's to, uh, yeah, because if you're like a serious person, especially like a politician or a celebrity or like a serious public figure, then you you can't have a lot of those conversations. Or if you do, you have to like immediately start correcting yourself. Well, I don't mean like this and I don't mean like that. But whether it's a comedian or an artist or some, t- some type of a, you know, creative writer, it brings to the forefront these things that we we normally right. they they have to sit right below surface and then sometimes they come out like from the the unconscious uh in weird ways because they're right there and they need to be talked about thought about to, uh, process but they're they're down below and i mean that was just an example but like he made a lot of points that were along those lines of just things that we don't know how to deal with. And so usually we just don't talk about it. Uh, but, and th- and that's the reason why I just brought that up is really like not necessarily to have like a whole thing about Kanye West, but the idea of mm, talking about these things or just things in general that normally we might want to not talk about, but especially, uh, you know, just not getting sucked into the herd mind and not getting sucked into the, uh, collective mentality or ideological possessions, because that's uh, that's a big thing right now, especially you know this week and next week. Yeah, do you completely. think it's okay? Go ahead, James. No, I, I was just going to say, yeah, I, mm. I completely agree with that, and I actually mm. come came out of that. I watched that entire uh, interview, which I thought okay. I think is is quite an uh, <laughs> quite yeah, an accomplishment. I'm not the to only one. Yeah, yeah, that was I, had to, I had to turn it off and take a break and go back to it <laughs> a few times, yeah, but I did yeah, make take, it through because he, yeah. he he was very intriguing. Um, mm. And he, I, I don't, I don't know if I would necessarily call him a musical genius. He's definitely extremely talented, and I have a ton of yeah. respect for him. And you know, he's brilliant at, at what he does. Um, it's kind of funny how he talks about having no ego <laughs> and then yeah. listening to the way that he speaks about himself. Well, he goes um, back and forth. He's a little bit yeah. contradictory. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But uh, well, I, I think he, he's diagnosed bipolar. So that kind of yeah. makes sense. He, yeah, he but, did mention that. Yeah, he yeah, seems yeah. like somebody who is, you know, now see, you know, he's been incredibly successful as a as, a, as an artist. And he's now starting to venture out and, and learn a little bit more about the world on yeah. some different subjects. You know, I don't think I'm not convinced yeah. that that would uh, translate into a good presidential candidate. I think uh, the personality types, uh, at least, you know, probably better than Biden, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't. I, I, yeah, I said I, I would be intrigued to see what would happen yeah. <laughs> at, at this point to see how he could. Not, be, but not, I think not the best, but not the worst. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> Um, but I think in like a presidential candidate, you need a different personality type. That artistic yeah, and creative sure. type isn't necessarily going to make a great 
you know, leader of, you know, a nation necessarily when you're all over the place. I am somewhat open to the idea, at least compared to the trash we're usually presented with, uh, because we, as much as we try to say everything is uh, this president or that president's fault or presidents in general, the presidents have pretty limited power in, uh, So if someone like that, even Kanye specifically, did win the presidency, I'm sure not this year, but maybe in however many years from now, uh, it could work in a lot of ways. Not necessarily that, oh, he's like the, the greatest leader of the free world, but that that position by design is very limited. So mm-hmm. what the position has to do is just like collaborate and come up with ideas from the cabinet and whatever else, whatever generals, whoever else and then try to implement something but it's very limited but someone like that in that position again it's not the best but it's not the worst it's, it's probably better than most presidents that we've had at least for our, our lifetime but uh could definitely do better at the same time yeah i could agree with that and i kind of because yeah. i and because i kind of get that idea from him that he, yeah. he is even though you can never know what is truly in somebody's heart that he is sincere and right. that he would want the best mm-hmm. and he wouldn't be corrupt, you know, at right, least. Right, right. And I think that's half the battle, kind of right. like what you're saying. Maybe he couldn't, you know, make a huge impact or, you know, even if he couldn't do a lot of good, he couldn't, mm. um, he wouldn't do a lot of bad. Which yeah, is it's kind of like Trump 2.0 in a lot of ways. I was going to say, I would be curious to see what you guys think of this, because yeah, as, yeah. I, as I was thinking about it, I actually mm. drew a lot of comparisons, yeah, yeah. believe it or not, between Kanye and Trump. Yeah. Because I think he articulates his ideas sometimes terribly. Mm. And then right. I was like, man, but mm. so does Trump sometimes. As, yeah. and I, as a huge Trump supporter, I will admit that Trump oftentimes does not articulate his ideas very well. But I think he yeah. can get the job done. Mm. And I could see that as Kanye, where he doesn't articulate himself very organized or, or very well. But he can. there's things that he can obviously get done. Yeah. So I find that interesting. And he, he, he does have a good intention and he, he does have certain, I guess, skills, but yeah, uh, I mean, it's something you have to think about. Well, I guess where I draw the comparison is just that, um, like the advantage to Trump is that he, uh, he's kind of unbuyable, like especially compared to someone like the Biden family, but he, he, he's going to do what he's going to do and it's going to be his own thing and you're going to have to deal with it. And he's going to say what he thinks. And even if it's like a bunch of hooey, at least, you know what he's trying to say compared to, you know, most politicians will just like read something on a teleprompter from a speechwriter and then do something the opposite. So it's, it's kind of pointless for them to even speak. Uh, now I, I drew the comparison just because, mm-hmm. It's like 2.0 with uh, <laughs> Kanye because, uh, like, he really would have no like that. That well, that's why it probably his his biggest challenge would be to align with either party. Like he even touched on that in the inter- interview was like, right? Oh, could he you know be on the Democrat side? And then I think uh, Rogan even cut him off. He's like, no, because they would never allow that because they can't control you or something like that. And it's like the same thing, but to mm. kind of the same way that it's been with Trump, but to another level. 
So, uh, yeah, we'll see. It'll, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Kanye West is kind of like a more compassionate version of Trump, although they're different yeah. in a lot of ways, too. I think that's worth yeah. noting. But, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot. It's like, mm. you know, I, I definitely think that Trump is an asshole mm. to a certain degree and maybe not somebody that you should, you know, model after. yourself yeah. after. But I think that an institution or a person who tries to masquerade as a hero mm. with, with an unwillingness to ex- acknowledge their flaws mm. is, is something very dangerous. And that's what I see the left as right now. And, and that's what I see Joe mm. Biden as is these people who really want to paint this, this fairy tale. And it is a fairy tale. And we all know it is that they are perfect and they are benevolent and they could do no wrong. I, I wouldn't care as much if they said, you know, we think we're the good guys and we realize that we have these problems and, and but we think our problems are not as bad as their problems. Like that would be more, like right. it, that would be more, that would be easier for me to reconcile if you level with me like that. Well, but all I see is just this, these, these people trying to act like the, the, this meta hero that, well, that cannot be. And I, I agree with you on that, but I think what makes it even worse is the unwillingness to even have conversations about potential flaws. So what, like when these things come up, sure. these issues, like even with Hunter Biden's laptop and anything else, anytime that you bring them up, they'll either just say, they'll, they'll either just deny it or change the subject or just say, nobody wants to talk about that. What, whatever it is, anything. Well, they that, haven't even spoken on it. Well, it, when they when they're pressed on it, that's that's the only response that they'll give it uh, is either just deny or say nobody wants to talk about it or just change the subject. And, and that's just that one something. thing, but it's the same thing with you know any anything else that they might have trouble with. But go ahead. Sure, I was just gonna say, yeah. look, if I if you if I accused you, mm. uh, if I t- if I told if we were all part of the same friend group and I told all sure. of them except for you that you stole money from mm. my dresser drawer. And you knew that you didn't do it. What would you do? You would call me and you would deny it. Or you would tell the people, hey, this didn't really happen. But that hasn't happened. All they've done is remain silent. To me, if if you know that you're innocent, you'll you'll deny it. But if you know that you're guilty, you won't speak on it. You'll omit. Well, and and that's the... the, On that same note is uh, that they refuse to talk about packing the courts until after the election, you know? And so for those right. who don't know real quick, so the, uh, uh, I guess now with this new Supreme court justice, it's like the, it's majority conservative justices now. And those are lifetime appointments. And so what the liberal, whatever are freaking out about is that, Oh no, now it's like these horrible conservatives that have that position and we can't do anything about it because they're lifetime appointments. Not like they, they can, there's going to be an election on that in however many years. But their little loophole answer that they want to do is what they call packing the courts, which means uh, right. bring in a bunch of liberal judges, like keep the same ones, but bring in like five more uh, liberal ones or, or whatever. Bring in a, a few more. And, but, and then all that does is, and they're supposed to be presidential appointments conserved by the or confirmed by the Senate. And so what that does is it puts pressure on the House and Senate to amend the Constitution so that can't keep happening. And then otherwise, every time it's a new president, they'll be faced with the dilemma of either 
do I sit with the court that I don't like or do I pack it? And so like in our lifetime, we could have like a Supreme Court of like 50 <laughs> justices. Uh, and but and then so the thing is, is that, that the the liberal people keep coming out saying, oh, we're going to we're going to get even we're going to do something about this whole, uh, you know, Amy Barrett or whatever. And that's the only thing that they can really do. But then Biden just refuses to take a position on it. So it'd be one thing if he would say, here right. are the pros and cons to that. And so I yes. might consider it. And here are whatever. But he just refuses to talk about it because he's he's just. That's what I'm saying. That, yeah. that scares me. Yeah, yeah. That that freaks me out. If you're if if you're taking on an important role. And I ask you a crucial question as to how you're going to operate within that role. And you dance around the question that makes me think you have some kind of motive or some, or, or either that, or you've been told what to say so that you can kind of be vague about it in a way that allows you to do whatever, once you get the position. And that, that's, well, that's that, really that, and just the obvious that it's like, I don't know. Uh, yeah. it, it just seems well, really what, obvious. Well, let me now. ask you a question. Do you okay. think that it's, do you think he's dancing around those questions because he's been told or so, or, or so he can do whatever he wants when he becomes the, or if he becomes the president or because there it's a, some kind of malevolent intent to actually oh, do the opposite. Uh, you had to pick between those three. Oh, well, I, I just think it's because he is not or allowed. Because he doesn't know. Well, no, he's just not allowed to think and make decisions for himself. Uh he has embraced the puppet role. Right. And he, so that's the thing with certain other politicians. They might sometimes give out their opinion or their uh, leadership in all of its uh, glory and faults. But he refuses to do that because he's completely, you know, been in politics for 40 something years. And he's just like, I have to talk to my handlers and see what they want. And they they don't want to mm-hmm. give me that information until that after the election. And I don't I don't really think that's a conspiracy at this point. That's just uh, I haven't he's he's never shown the uh, he's never shown any signs of thinking for himself, but to just like yeah. I th- go ahead. Sorry, yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's smart. It's ignoble, I would mm. say, but I think it's very. I would actually say it's very politically and psychologically smart. I mean, the less mm. he talks about it, you know, the less mm. there's a chance he's going to say something stupid right. or you know have a slip mm. up. And the less, obviously, the less it's talked about, you know, the less the less it's talked about, which is which is good for them. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think on a political as a political he, game yeah. theory strategy, I think it's actually smart on his. Well, it's just to kind of play both sides, like not piss off the people that because right. there's some people that are going to be like, well, you need to pack the courts. And then there's other people that are going to be like, no, that's not right. It's implied in the Constitution, probably. Uh, so, yeah, it's, that's the other aspect that's very plain is to just like. Yeah, but I think I think that Trump and Biden kind of mm-hmm. both lack a little bit of passion when it comes to certain issues. I see it a little bit more in Trump. I, I will say mm-hmm. that. But. What, what basically what we're saying is that whenever you ask Biden about anything and he never you never see his face light up like, oh, I'm really passionate about that issue. Let me tell you what I think. It's just some canned answer that was rehearsed and the, a million and the times. The closest thing to it requires him to take Adderall to even be able yeah. to recite it. You know? Well, I mean, and the, the really closest thing to an case. answer is always like, well, everybody thinks this and everybody knows you never hear yeah. him 
put forth his own idea or his own yeah. thoughts. Or, or relate a question that he's asked to a story that happened to him, like something that yeah. a personal experience so that he, he never does that, which I think is yeah, weird. Yeah, he'll just like try to like do some of these old like, uh, well, around the dinner table and <laughs> like all these yeah, like old so political cliche. moves from like yeah. decades old, like, hey guys, well, you know, you, you guys, it's insulting. Struggles. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I think what it is too is they, that they're both. They think their voters are dumb. Well, yeah, but also that that might have actually been the case 30 or 40 years ago. (laughs) Not not necessarily that people were were dumber back then, but that people were uh, less informed and less active in the process, especially, you know, pre-internet. Or you could just kind of be that way and people just maybe watch on the TV and be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But now... It's like people are more informed and more yeah. engaged and more uh, have everything at their fingertips for the information. So you can just yeah. be like, okay, uh, that's bullshit. That's so, yeah. So, but yeah, you know, think- yeah. Well, it's like, it's like, go ahead, go ahead James. No, yeah. Sorry. I, I, so I was going to ask along those mm. lines, even though there is, you know, you can find the counter views out there. Mm. Um, I, I almost feel like it's more and more rare of the personality type, though, that is getting outside of their bubble. You know, mm. life, I think, I, you know, I'm kind of scared about how many people are still in that bubble. And although they have all this information at their <laughs> fingertips, they're just stuck in their, their positive feedback loops and are yeah. only following the same news channels. And they're only listening to people who agree with them. And they're actually not getting yeah. out there. Yeah, that's, so that kind of concern. You know, well, I think, I think that's a great point. I think we can kind of relate this to China, though. Like, you know, everybody thought the Internet couldn't be regulated. Like everyone was like, oh, the Internet's the wild, wild west. It can't be regulated. People are going to do what they want to do. But China actually effectively created parameters around their Internet access that made it really Orwellian. And we don't have as much of that here. But I think what happened is that these big tech companies started to realize that the people that used to be in their same bubble we're somehow escaping it through the means of the internet. And now they're doing, they're, they're, they're creating nefarious methods of like making it. So you only see things that you agree with on your feed or that when you look up something on Google, depending on your geographical location, you get a specific search mm. that comes to the top more. So I think big tech can be related to a lot of it. I think you, what Isaac was saying, which I thought was an interesting point is like, you know, if there was a way that worked for a long time, Mm. You might, and, and then all of a sudden it stopped. There's still always going to be people. So like, the, here's my analogy. Mm. You put up a Christmas tree every year, right? And you don't really question why. It's just something that we all do. And, and I'm not dogging on putting up a Christmas tree. I think it's a cool little ritual that we do every year, but we yeah. do it. And, but then all of a sudden we get to a point where we're, we become a little bit more self-conscious as a society. And then we think, well, why am I doing this? Mm. But even after we realize that, we still kind of do it. And that's kind of what the Democrats are doing. They, I think mm-hmm. they kind of realize that that old-fashioned way of doing things doesn't really work or that people are questioning it, but they're still trying it as if it's going to work. And, and I think that people are just too smart for that in this modern day. Yeah, I mean, it's so. kind of the struggle with the two-party system is that since, like, okay, hypothetically, if if that we just chose – it, when we voted, we would have 10 candidates and there were no party lines then we or, or whatever, something like that. Then 
each person would somewhat be thinking for themselves and the each voter would have to somewhat think for themselves as far as what what goes on with that process but with the um uh with, with the party process the way that it is you get it's like you get these old clubs of whether it's you know GOP can be the same way sometimes and uh the democratic party can be the same way sometimes it's uh they get they get just stuck yep. in their old ways almost like a don't like you think the GOP has changed way. a little bit more well i think that, think, that, that was think the, that? that's the advantage of the trump effect in a lot of ways and you know like four years ago even if it would have been someone like i think i don't know what was probably the the leader of that ted cruz maybe it it, it would probably seem like they were still stuck in their old ways a lot i mean they, they of course in mm-hmm. other ways have made yeah progress in the last decade Makes or two sense. but the trump effect has been well one it has caused the gop to modernize and revolutionize in a lot of ways but then two the uh left is just so like i i never talk to i like i never meet somebody who's just like a regular old democrat anymore if they will publicly say i am a democrat and i vote democrat then they are caught in the ideological possession of like just the whole extreme extreme left yeah and because the left is so extreme left the right just in being moderate right and not too extreme right now they um they seem super modern just just because they're like almost like regular people instead of extremists yeah let uh, let me give maybe a little bit of a different perspective and kind of give kind of a maybe a positive uh outlook on the two-party system because i know that there's obviously a lot of negatives to it but i think there's a there may be a positive that gets overlooked at too, because you know we we obviously always see the the metaphorical pendulum mm-hmm. that swings back and forth, right? It's typically eight years Democrat, eight years Republican, eight years Democrat, eight years Republican, right? And and a lot of people, uh, you know, will will get upset and say nothing ever seems to change. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter, Democrat or Republican, and uh, mm-hmm. you know it, it just goes back and forth. But mm. in a way, that's part of the design and why right. it was set up that way yeah, to they're, they're not you know, supposed once, to be able to do a lot yeah, right, right right and you know the, the right can certainly go way too far to the right and the left mm. can certainly go too far to the left mm-hmm. and i think you know this extreme and this might be unpopular with a lot of uh you know more conservative people mm. and I, I definitely see myself you know that i lean more conservative mm. although i try to s- stay away from the the labels um Sure. You know, I think this this far left extremism that we're seeing, mm. a lot of it originated be- from the right during that time period that had started going too far. And then they, you know, so mm. and then they, there was a large pushback against that. And it kind of pull, has pulled the right back to what you're what, talking which, about now. Which time well, period? Uh, pro- probably the fifties and the sixties, okay. you know, yeah. during, during the, uh, you, you know, the war that was very yeah. un- unpopular and, do- and during that time period, I, I, I would kind of put, put it mm. onto when, when a lot of the, the anti-war was mm. coming out and a lot of yeah, those, the, the, the anti-war activist activists, you know, mm. came out and, and started to getting more involved and in, involved in academia as well. Right. And so now this has been the over exaggeration to it. And now it's the right that is, you know, is coming back and now has to pull the uh the left back 
to back to the center here. And I think we're seeing the, the opposite end of it now. So in a way that that two party system, you, you, mm. you really need that to keep each other in check because either side is going to go too extreme if in power for too long. Yeah. And I don't know. And then it, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's there's a, a reason why we have term limits. Yeah. Well, as, as much as that's true, um, sometimes I think the president should be a little bit longer, like maybe two five-year terms or something, uh, only because sure. then you have to take more seriously. It's like right now, like let's say, like I don't, like it almost always is a full eight-year term. And the reason or one of the main reasons is because it's like, okay, we survived four years of this guy and uh it's probably better on the economy to do four years of the same thing and then make a transition since you have to at that point anyway. Um, <clears throat> although if it was like two five-year terms or maybe two six-year terms, then you have to take that midterm more seriously or maybe even three, four-year terms, some, something like that. You have to take that more seriously other than just be like, eh, whatever, we'll just deal with it in four years when we got to make a transition anyway. Uh, but all the other positions, at least on the in the you know House and Senate, it's crazy and stupid that there's not at least a uh, well, ten or twelve year term limit on them. Yeah, let's talk that's about more important. And I know James has some stuff to say, the, say about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sorry, I was just going to say yeah, I agree with you, Isaac, because mm. I would say that the the Congress is more important and more yeah. causes more more change and can get right. more results than the president ever can. Sure, so sure, that completely yeah. makes sense. Uh, that's the only point I was Especially make. without term limits, because then they develop right. these huge, uh, you know, sometimes three or four year decade relationships with their, you know, lobbyists. And now what's more powerful than the government is the corporations. And so they want to have the, sure. you know, be in bed with whatever senator and Congress people and, that takes years mm-hmm. to, to court those relationships. So, of course, it would be harder if they had to redo that every few years. But uh, the, that, so, that takes a super majority vote to make that happen. And most of them won't vote for that on themselves. But go ahead. Yeah. So I know James has some stuff to say about this. Yeah, Do you yeah. guys want to go down the Unity 2020 rabbit hole real quick? I, I'm, I'm down for any rabbit holes. Okay, cool. So... I know that uh, James is not necessarily a big fan of this idea, but uh, there's this idea that's surfacing, which is like an idea that instead of having one person to, you know, be the head, we have two people, one kind of left of center, one kind of right of center who check each other and go into the agreement with the idea that they're going to work together and not be at opposition with each other, but actually try to solve these things in a comprehensive way that considers the perspective of both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's an interesting idea that's worth exploring. You know, I don't know if you guys know this, but they used to do that a lot, like, like certain, I can't remember which countries, but certain countries used to do that. They would have two Kings. So mm-hmm. not only to kind of balance each other, but also just in case one of them died, there would still be another one. They would travel separately and stuff like that. Um, and also another interesting fa- facet of that is that a long time ago, the the vice president was the runner up. So the so if say Joe Biden and Trump uh, went head to head, Trump won. Joe Biden would become the vice president. I really hope that doesn't happen. By the way, <laughs> um, but 
I think the idea of having two people checking each other, to me, just, it mm -hmm. sounds good, but that's, we have to be weary of that, right? Because a lot of things sound good. Communism sounds good. Oh, everybody gets mm -hmm. equal everything and blah, blah, blah. We, we oftentimes, we, we romanticize ideas that sound good in our head. Then when we instantiate them, they don't actually work out, but I think it sounds good. And I think that's worth talking about. So I know James has some stuff to say about that. Yeah, a little bit. And I'm not it's I'm not against the actually the idea of the, the unity 2020 idea that that Brett was, you know, bringing to the table there. I haven't actually mm -hmm. heard and may, you, you can maybe uh, um, expand on how it was going to work. Maybe you just did a little bit about how that was going to work. I guess I just couldn't envision exactly the details of how he was going to work it out. My my biggest criticism of it was the kind of the people that he was. Um, the, the people that he sure. supports and the policy that he supports is, you know, is my biggest, um, my biggest criticism of Andrew Brett and Eric Wines. You're right. And Eric Weinstein um, is, is kind of, uh, you know, as much as I love and respect those guys and I follow them all the time. I just I feel like their their scientific and mathematical genius is is offset by their political ignorance <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, sure. But that's 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 a little maybe off topic there. But I'm intrigued. I'm, I am intrigued by the idea because I think checks and balances is extremely important in what we have to have. So that may actually add an extra layer maybe of checks and balances to keep anyone, you, you know, from going too far or it could cause more gridlock and divisiveness, too. It would it would be interesting. I'm intrigued by the idea, though. Mm. Do you think if the people were different, you'd maybe be more open to the idea? Like if it was like, say, say if it was like Tulsi Gabbard and, um, you know, who's like, and like, um, and Ron Paul or something like that, you know, two people. And, and, and that the idea behind it too is not that we vote them in. They're two patriots who are recruited, which is, yeah. which is another interesting facet of it. So we call to them kind of instead of voting him in that, that, that brings up a good a good point that why i'm intrigued by this and why i'm i'm getting i, I feel the checks and balances are so important so you know i think when we're, we're thinking about some of these policies and the way that we set things up um and I, I forget who said this maybe i may be parroting jordan peterson here but it was a point that mm -hmm. um or it may, it may be thomas soul as well um, but it, it's a point that left a huge impression on me and really made me think about politics and, and policies and the way we mm -hmm. set up these social structures in such a such a different different way than I did previously. That when we when we think about these, we have to imagine that the people that we that the person that we would least want to be in charge will be in charge when we when we pass these type of policies. Um, because inevitably that's what will happen. We know there is evil people in the world and bad people and that they are drawn to these types of positions. Sure. So it's not, you know, we always envision that it's going to be, uh, somebody that we like and the person that's going to do the right things when we, when we pass these policies mm. or when we want to see somebody in charge. And that's sort of my, was one of my largest criticisms against an Andrew Yang because he was so, um, uh, expanding the power of the and yeah. growing the government so powerful and right. even if y andrew yang is the most perfect wonderful person in the world yeah. he's only there temporarily and if you get the wrong True. person in that position um so i just think that's such a profound point mm -hmm. that imagine the person that you least want to be in that position will be in that position because inevitably that's <laughs> what will happen and then will the system 
still hold up and protect you. Mm. And I think he might be onto something there with those two people because that may be a, even an yeah. extra layer of checks and balances. Um, well, so. yeah. I, I, with with this, I think of two things. One, how realistic is it? Which is not very. And then the other is something else that should be more realistic, but unfortunately it's not, is just to use properly the system and everything that's already there. So the, the mm. fir first and most important would be to uh, reinforce the fact that the president is, I mean, the, the whole reason that the president is called the president, it's, it, it's, you know, it's almost like how we have offices called the secretary like they're just supposed to be this overseer they're not they're supposed to have very very limited power and mm -hmm. they but they use their executive orders just like kid at a candy store nowadays and uh, those are only supposed to be in effect for like an emergency situation where you can't go through the process of the house and senate or or court go ahead but why do they never say that? Why? How come you would never hear a president say that? They always, is it because they kind of have to portray themselves as this thing that's bigger than it really is? Um, well, I think that kind of goes to my uh, other point with this is that the real issue with like why we're even thinking about like this unity thing and why we have too many conversations about presidents is that we project onto them like they are this king or god figure and this goes into like our mm. archetypal mythological like at least ten thousand year old past and and that like that's how that the the pharaohs were perceived is that they they are god and when there's a new pharaoh it's it's not looked at as anything but just there's it's like just the same uh you know ra or horus inhabiting this shell or whatever and that's what we really project on them in that in either our idealizing of them, whoever it is, and or projecting shadow on any of them. And because like sometimes when people get in their whole like ideological possessions of it's the end of the world because of Trump and or or Biden or whoever else, it's like any any sure any president, whether it's Trump or uh, Obama or anybody else, like show me like introduce me to the person that specifically they that president did something that affected their life in a very abnormally positive or abnormally negative way you can't yeah there's a line in the Dao Te Ching go ahead. what's was i mean there's there's some there's some of that like that you can put forth but I mean, maybe say there's this healthcare advantage and this and that, but those things would come to flourishing one way or another for the most part, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so there's a line in the but there's there's the more Tao it's, it's more yeah it's more just this projection of like oh, it's gonna be the end of the world if this person's president, or it's gonna be our savior if this person's president, and really it's and a lot of what it is too is it just gets into our narratives of. Uh, like I see people do it all the time, just like having small talk where it's like, oh, what's going on with you in your life? Oh, COVID, da, 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 da. And then somehow it slips from like 
they don't want to because they don't want to talk about maybe uh, they looked at Pornhub and then Pornhub <laughs> made them feel guilty about human trafficking. Instead, what they do is they sure. say, you know what, everything's all these fascist fault and everything's all like, you know, I got to leave the I got to get out of the country if uh, Trump's reelected and all this. And, and th- there may be like a, a drop of truth to that. But mm. for the most part, it's that it helps us avoid our uh, ourselves when because otherwise in our conversation, we have to say, like, what's really going on with ourselves, like our, uh, you know, deal deal with the fact that we're lazy or that we're avoiding to clean our room or we're avoiding to talk to our brother-in-law or our uncle that we have trouble with or whoever. Like those are the real issues that are in our lives and that if we address them, they would transform our lives for the better and transform ourselves and our souls and everything else. But instead, of course, we don't want to do that for the sake of protecting our ego. So we're just like, everything's the president's Mm -hmm. fault. And to just wrap up this rant, it didn't used to be this bad that everybody projected on the president, at least in this modern era, largely because of how that, uh, you know, the, the way that, it's supposed to be designed, but I think it's gotten a lot worse in the past, not just with Trump, but the past few decades, because people are not in their own families and communities like they used to be. Because when you're in your own family and community, like we were up until uh, the modern era in the last 50 or so years, uh, it would be all about what's going on with your family and what's going on with your your little community that you're involved in. But now people aren't really involved in their own families so much. I mean, just a little bit, but they, that's hurts the ego to deal with your own family and your own relationships, your own community. So people avoid that. And a lot of the relationships that they do have, it's like, you know, family all over the nation and the world and friends that they somewhat feel attached to are all over the nation and the world. So to say like, my brother, my sister, my best friend that is not even in the same state as me, we need to have a uh, unified thing to project upon, which is not our family or our village or even our state that we live in anymore. It's our unified thing to project on is now the leader of the free world, which shouldn't even be the leader of the free world. It should just be a person that oversees and uh, has very limited power. So what do you guys think? (laughs) <laughs> I, I wanted to hear totally what Connor agree. sounded like. He had a good quote on the yeah, tip yeah, of his tongue. Yeah. Oh, donation or, or something. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, and it's exactly pertaining to what you're saying. It's about yeah, like yeah. people. You know, here's here's what it is. Mm. The, I don't know if you guys have ever read the Tao Te Ching, but the Tao is basically like it's that which is, but it's also the creative force that generates that which is at the same time. Right. There's the, it's the, also the self-generating and regenerating. Right. It's also a thousand other things, but I think that's the best way to distill it. And there's this line in the doubt. And it's also not you, those you, thousand things. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, go ahead. It's, 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 there's a line in the doubt chain that says, if you try to fix the world, you'll ruin it. Right. If you try to grasp it too tightly, you'll lose it. And if you try right. to fight it, you will lose. And Right. It also says that if all the world leaders could act within the Tao, mm-hmm. that there would be there would be peace in the world. I think we've set up a system, which is kind of mm-hmm. like what you're saying about the president not having too much power, right. that doesn't allow us or doesn't allow that one individual person 
to, to, to tamper with or grasp the, the fabric of the society too hard mm-hmm. better than most cultures that antedate us. Like most cultures that antedate us, I don't, I think we're pretty unregulated. You know, they, there was kind of like one guy running the show and he had all this power. Mm-hmm. I think we do a much better job of that now than we did before. Mm-hmm. And that, but that being said, I also think the idea that we could refine that a little bit works, but then it also kind of goes against what the Tao Te Ching is saying that is, which is that if you try to fix the world, you'll ruin it. So I almost sometimes wonder how much of what we complain about is actually just the fabric of reality and, and, and the the code that's embedded into this universe that we can't really Mm. escape. How much of it is like just the business as usual that can't be altered. Like, you know, Jordan Peterson talks a lot about hierarchies Mm. and you would, when you imagine a hierarchy, you kind of also, you kind of sort of expect there to be one thing at the top. Mm. I mean, otherwise it's not really a, a, a pyramid. It's more of like a, it's more of like a pyramid that has a line at the top. That would be the two people that represent unity 2020, but that's not really a hierarchy, right? There has to be one thing above it all. Right. Well, I think it can still but, be a hierarchy. But, it can still be considered a hierarchy. Yeah, so, well, yeah. it should be something metaphysical, even if people don't like that word that's on the top. Uh, because if you put sure. a person or a... Um, you know, like I, I think, like I, I mentioned the, the Egyptian idea, but I think that they were on to the right idea but maybe part of what well there are two things theoretically that led to their sort of fall one is that they made uh that the made they made the king god when it should be like there's the king and then there's the transcendent or you know the the higher power then the other is toward the end when uh the egypt fell it became that everyone was god which is kind of like what we're going through now in our modern, like feel good. Everyone is great. Everyone gets a participation trophy. Right. Everybody's special is so yeah. If you don't have something, even, even if like, I mean, even like, uh, and that, that might that, like, that's kind of the advantage of Kanye West, whether that you want to agree with his uh, religious sure. stances or not, it's that he's at least trying to put something transcendent, even if he doesn't do a very good job of it. Whereas yeah, everybody I else, agree. I, yeah, go ahead. I personally think that people act better when they believe they're being judged by a superordinate principle. However, just to offer the devil's advocate, the atheist mm-hmm. perspective, which is not me, I'm not an atheist, but atheists will say that um, if you, if you follow like the line of Epicurus, mm-hmm. it actually states that logically it makes more sense to do good because it will benefit you in the long run, although I'm not totally convinced of that. But I, am, but what I am convinced of is that if you believe that you're being judged, you're less likely to um, take one up on your fellow man. So, and I think that's important. Yeah, but, you know, there is there is there is also that alternative perspective that it's just logical and and makes sense to do good. Which you know, once again, I'm not yeah. totally convinced. Yeah, and I mean, you you can even see the the contrast where it's like, like even. Trump is not a religious, a very religious person, but he has, you can tell he has passions and convictions to uh, do something for higher purposes. Whereas the others, maybe even like all the politicians, uh, other than maybe like a few that didn't do well, that, you know, try to get in that position, 
they're just all wrapped up into this herd uh, having that the, they'll only say anything about something transcendent if it's like for political points it has nothing it's to the do state yeah yeah so well it uh, isn't biden like correct me if i'm wrong because mm. I, I maybe i just haven't seen it but i've never heard biden use the word god or speak on his religion or anything like that and i think that's the might be the first time in in the history of presidents i mean at least you know, Trump and Obama both acknowledged that there was like this superordinate uh, higher being. I don't yeah. think I've ever heard Joe Biden say that. I've heard him say on a tweet, we will some super cliche new agey thing like, yeah. oh, if you follow us, you you know, we will we will guide you with love and light, and, which, yeah, is, well, which is it's true. Well, it's super he tries to and, play both. He tries to play both sides, yeah, like the, yeah. the God and the yeah. non-God side and everything. So it's like, I'm a Catholic, but. Uh, you know the thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> that was the thing because he didn't want to say like God in the Pledge of Allegiance, so it's just like ah, God, right. blah blah blah. You know the thing. Like, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's not popular with his with his base, so yeah. that's why he's gonna go with the new. Uh, Would you say cliche and new age yeah. type thing? Because that's his. That's the new liberal Democratic Party. I, I always mm. maybe that's the new leftist mentality. Unfortunately, so he kind of has to play to that. You know, I, mm. I believe that politics. Uh, Andrew Breitbart said it a long time ago, and I believe it to be true that politics is downstream from culture and the kind of piggybacks on the point that you made, um, Isaac, as far as politicians ended up ending up being a projection of us. You right. know, they're really just playing to what they're into, what their, their voter base wants to do. So right. if you think our, our politicians have gotten disgusting, you know, yeah, look, look, look inward for right, sure. Right, right, right. And I'm well, not saying a politician who is a secularist is necessarily going to be a bad thing. I'm just saying yeah. it yeah. is weird that it's happening for the first time in history. You know, this, this I'm reading this book right here. I don't know if you guys can see on the screen. It's called God and Government, 25 Years for the Fight for Equality, Secularism, and Freedom of Conscience. And, you know, I, I, I believe in people's, you know, I, I believe in a president's right to experience whatever states of consciousness they want and to be secular if they choose it's mm. still worth discussing why in this modern age like why 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 throughout all of american history was every single president a person of god and yet right now like what is it about right now that's invoking this this uh this new thing of being a secularist oh, it's, it's just the, the culture. highest position in the world yeah. yeah it's the culture yeah it's that's the culture has went that way i mean it's, it's continued to snowball since Nietzsche so famously said, God is dead, you know, and, and, and mm -hmm. we killed him. Um, and it's just continued to get more, more and more and further and further and further down that road. So this is where it, you know, inevitably, yeah. inevitably led. It's, it's the culture dictated it. Right. Well, and maybe Isaac, this, did you say that Joe Biden refused to say the word God in the Pledge of Allegiance? Oh, that, that. that's just one of his. Uh, OK, we don't know why that he tripped up on that. Like, that's one of those famous things that you see a bunch, <laughs> bunch of videos mm. where he's like, we pledge allegiance, one nation, blah, blah, blah. You, you know, the thing. <laughs> and so I don't know if it was. Yeah. If it's just because he always has trouble speaking or. If it's that he has trouble, <laughs> well, because like that was a big thing with when the the Democratic when they had their convention or whatever, that they had versions of the national anthem or pledge allegiance mm -hmm. that would not include God, and I think they had some others that would mm -hmm. include God, but they're just trying to be like, hey, 
Think whatever you want. Feel whatever you want. Just vote for us. So sounds nice. Does it work though? <laughs> well, no. Not only it doesn't work, but also doesn't sound nice. And that, and and that's why it's like certain groups or things in the culture. Like we're still having this debate of like how okay or not okay pedophilia is. Like we're losing all mm. of our lines in the sand that have been drawn for hundreds or thousands of years or more. And it's like, oh, we got to understand the pedophiles. And it's like, eh. yeah, I mean, I don't know. May, 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 I mean, maybe that's a conversation to have. Not that like pedophilia is okay, but that like, hey, if somebody has that, because it is a um, scientifically now they say that it's it's sometimes a like a natural attraction. Like they're not necessarily crazy. It's just some people are attracted to other things. Yeah. So, but, but in the conversation, that's not saying that that means that it's okay to engage in sexual intercourse with minors, but it's like, Hey, if you want to have an adult relationship with another adult and you are attracted to someone who looks younger and they want to do their uh, daddy daughter thing or whatever else, and you want to keep it in their bedroom, but keep the, the ones who are under 18 out of it. Cool. But to say that, it would be okay for an adult to have sexual intercourse with a minor. Not cool. So it's like you got to draw lines in the sand and we're, we're, we're losing that. And last, last statement I have to make about the whole, as it pertains to the whole God thing is, you know, I'm not calling names or anything. I'm just saying if I was an institution that was claiming to have the interest of the people, mm-hmm. but I really only had the interest of myself, I think I would also, I think it would be very convenient to not believe in God at that point or to, or to become a secularist. And because then they become God. Yeah. Right. They take yeah, that. And then, well, they, then, then they become God and they're also absolved of any, of any, you know, greater consequence. You know, if, if I'm, if I'm a deceitful institution or a deceitful person who's, who's trying to masquerade as a hero, mm. I think, I think God wouldn't be the most important thing I would talk about. Well, because the, the, this, that aspect of the culture is again it almost gets to that egyptian metaphor of like everybody's god or anybody can be god in their own way and it's like you are your own highest value and which is the liberalism philosophy is just do what you feel do it uh follow your heart do what feels good and sometimes it'll feel good to do something horrible like uh so you shouldn't watch pornhub Watch, watch <laughs> Pornhub, uh, pedophilia. You know, there's all kinds of things that we can say. Uh, even if it feels good, don't necessarily do it. Or sometimes you're going to want to do something that's going to feel bad for uh, a later reward. And I don't know. I think it goes into the idea of people want their identity to be a certain way. So they feel like they have to identify with this or that or this or that. When it's like, it, it, it's again, part of them avoiding their actual identity that might be uh, corrupt and polluted, whether that's any individual like on our level or the politicians all the way up. And I would also say that to your, your quote that you mentioned how peace is achievable. I think peace is achievable. However, we choose to not have it. And so like a lot of the, these problems that we've gotten into Mm. now is 
it's like mass self-sabotage or like the herd mind self-sabotage or, you know, group self-sabotage in that all the, like we could be uniting on the common enemy of uh, COVID and united on the common enemy of, um, oh, look, we've got an election coming up. This is really important. Let's uh, figure out what's like really best for the, the whole world instead of just like, well, because, uh, you know, all these people who are like ready to burn down the world if, if Trump's reelected or the other way around or whatever. It's like we've known at least for four years and, and really it's been going on for, you know, at least since uh, it's been like the same thing since George Dub or George W. Bush in 2000 when he, it was the same thing. Hmm. Everybody's like, oh, no, he won the states, but not the popular vote. It was the same thing where it's like, OK, we know the world is divided like almost 50 50. You know, the, the only exception right. was the Obama, whatever. Other than that, it's always been like about 50-50. And so if you really want to make something happen, stop like just waiting for the hero to come and, and save as a, as a better candidate because they don't get any better if they're just coming from us unless we change the culture. So the answer is to change the culture. Yes, which and who we controls can only the do culture. that by changing ourselves. Exactly. Yeah, because and the culture but, but is made up of individuals. Wanna, so we yeah. all, most people don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, well. but who who controls the culture though? You know. I, well, the I individual the, does, but the indi- I does. most I, individuals I think so don't don't want to make those changes. They just want to do what feels. Well, good, when you say the individual, culture. though, uh, you know that maybe that's getting into a you know a free will. Uh, you know, a little bit more of a, the, the free will conversation. We're mm-hmm. still all definitely influenced by a lot that goes on around us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, when yeah, it but comes down the, to it, we do. But it's the, the our environment also dictates that and the, the information that we take into our minds. And uh, uh, there's a soldier. But the only point that Isaac is making, I think, is that the lowest level of a society is the individual. Like you can you, well, you talk about the hierarchy. Well, I agree, the yeah, at I the top. That, yeah. It's the I, lowest and yeah. it's the highest because. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's that Solzhenitsyn quote I can't think of, but it's like so- something to the effect of a whole uh, society can be turned by one yeah. person who choose to chooses to stop lying or tell the truth. Yes, yeah, yeah I know exactly what truth. you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and I, and I believe that the only minority that matters is the individual. I say I say that well, often too. So I definitely that's agree true. With you but there. they're also the. Um, the individual is the minority, but they're also the majority because each individual, by choosing to stop living a deceptive life and choosing to start changing the individual for the better, that's the only way that, that change happens. It starts with like each one individual. And then over time, it's be like uh, like us three. We could be like uh, looking at Pornhub, going be pedophiles, whatever else. But we choose to say, okay, whatever else that are our vices or temptations or lower nature things, we're like, rather than doing those, we're going to have this conversation or do things to help start transforming ourselves and transforming the world. So Yeah, so, yeah I agree with you. Solson Nitchin made that, made that point. Um, yeah you know, very, very good. And that, you know, that even if, cause what typically ends up happening is, you know, there's a whole lot more people that are being quiet and that are mm-hmm. lying, even right, though that right. they know it's, it's not the truth. And then once that one, you get, you've got to find that one courageous person that's willing right. to go against the crowd. And then that will kind of sort of set off that domino effect, right. you know, out, you know, you know kind of 
out towards everybody else. So yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it comes down to the individual, but uh, hmm. yeah, I didn't even necessarily mean to go all into the political stuff today, but I guess, I guess we had some things to get off our chest, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, what, what's on, what's on your guys' mind? Any, anything else? All right, James. Yeah, James, you, you've got a deep, <laughs> a deep thought right now. No, I just I was just trying to think of something good to ask you guys while, while I have the opportunity. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, go, go ahead. We're all ears. I, I'm trying to think. Connor, if you had something, then maybe I can think of uh, think of something. Uh, I don't have anything well, on the tip of my tongue at the I moment. I, I, w- I was thinking along the lines of what you're saying about the the death of God principle. That, and this ties into mm-hmm. what we were just saying is that that – it's strange because it's not like so the death of god came with the change in the culture that the god that god or something like that is no longer universally accepted as uh the highest value and so it was that sort of like deterioration of the that value structure which was kind of the rise of scientific materialism especially within you know the universities and those kind of like uh, uh, higher exalted institutions at the time, uh, especially with, with Darwin, but it didn't necessarily have to be him. It was already kind of, you know, in the culture at that time. But what happened then is instead of the whole culture, like the, at least the Western world or the, the whole world, the whole, at least free world or modern world being like, um, we have got, um, yeah, the God is God. There's a transcendent power and all that. Instead of that being the whole culture, there started to be this shift to say it, which gets into the, like the liberalism of just follow your heart, do what feels good. The voter is always right. The customer is always right. Started to be the shift in the culture from, well, then it went from a God centered uh, sort of hierarchy to like a man centered hierarchy or human centered hierarchy, which is that. And, um, uh consumerism slash you know capitalism but uh when that so when that happened is it put all of the deciding power on every individual because before the whole like it was like the herd was there's god even if they can't explain it or maybe secretly they think it's dumb or whatever the prior to uh, about 500 years ago everybody's just like yeah, well, whatever. I don't, I can't, maybe if I can't explain it or if it's faith or whatever, uh, we're all on board with this God thing. So with the death of God that then, then happened between then and now was um, each individual has to make that decision for themselves. And I think that's kind of like what we're seeing today too is these realizations that each individual has to decide what's their highest value. And, and a lot of times that's only going to come through experience. Mm. They, they're, they're not just going to get it from their childhood necessarily. They're going to get it through trying out different things as they are a young man or a young woman. And then they have to ultimately decide of if they are the highest authority or if they w- want to th- act like a politician or a business is the th- highest authority or some n- weird principle or capitalism or what's the highest authority or if something transcendent is the highest but so now it's on the individual 
to make. Yeah, that. I think you, you touched on two really important points there that I think are contributing to mm. our cultural decline, which I would say in turn has mm. led to, you know, our, our, even more of the degra- degradation of our politics, which was a uh, one materialism. Right. Um, and then, you, you know, you kind of continued on there talking mm. about the, the, this, uh, you know, the death of God and, 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 and the kind of the removal of religion as much mm. from our culture. And I think it was, again, a, a big overcorrection to because obviously the religious community went, you know, has had a lot of issues um, that's yeah, not been, unique to them as an institution. Yeah. You know, it's basically human nature. Every institution, you know is going to fall victim to, to human nature. Right. But, you know, there's all the, the history of the issues with Christianity and, uh, you know, within the religious community. And it was kind of an overcorrection. And I think we've sadly thrown mm. out the baby with the bathwater. Mm. And I even think about my own uh, life kind of anecdotally that growing up, uh, I was actually raised Catholic and, uh, you know, went to church on Sundays, but I became very, just because of the people involved. And I, and I, I just, uh, uh, it was never explained to me properly. So I think what mm. we, we kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater. I apologize for the cliche there. No, um, works. When you, you, I don't think you even have to, you don't even have to believe in a metaphysical God or, you know, what what the, mm. some of the, the more, uh, brutally honest atheists call like the the uh, uh what do they say it's like uh, believing in santa claus or, or the bunny rabbit right. you don't have He's to funny. believe in that to, to gain such profound lessons and insights from the stories mm-hmm. of the bible and the religious stories Agreed. and i think removing that like lumping that in with all the the negativity that took we've just so uh deprived generation of people from these just profound insights that you can gain so much worldly knowledge of. Mm. And then in addition to that, when you mentioned materialism, and I'd like to kind of, maybe if you guys can expand on this uh, a little bit on thoughts of possible solutions to this, you know, we, I've become obsessed with the idea and really trying to teach my son that I think the Mm. most noble thing mm. that that man can strive for mm. is for the acquisition of and the passing along of knowledge and wisdom as opposed to the acquisition of and the collection of money and stuff and i think we've because of the economic incentives there there is just we have we now we've created that economic incentive to to collect money and stuff right. as opposed to you know, gain knowledge and wisdom and to become, become good human beings. We've literally monetarily incentivized stupidity and ignorance in right. a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I, 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 think, I don't see how yeah. we're going to, until we, we can, can come to terms and do something to fix those two things, you know, mm. people are literally uh, um, made fun of mm. when they go to school and they major in the liberal right. arts. Yep. You know what I mean? Because they're all, what kind of what kind of a good paying job are you going to get in the liberal arts? You know, and they're ridiculed for that when, you know, that's, you know, that's, you know, the, the one of the most important ways to broaden your mind and to learn how to think about well, that's the world how you're supposed to be learning how to be a person. Right. But there's no monetary. Right. It's been monetarily disincentivized right, as opposed right, right. to specialization. It's like being um, a good I, person doesn't pay. So ignore that. Yes. And, and just yes. go for uh, whatever yeah. seems like it's going to pay the most. 
Yes. Well, there's which this is, old, which uh, is, I was going to say real quick, that's the opposite of how it, it was for thousands of years. Because for thousands of yes. years, it was how James talking about it was that the culture was all about handing down wisdom and handing down, uh, yes. you know, making the next generation better. And now this is actually like an, a new thing, this uh, materialism and materialistic uh, culture. But go ahead, yes. Connor. I was just going to say, there's this there's this old Kabbalistic idea, and I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys know anything about Kabbalah, but it's basically a facet of Jewish mysticism. And the word Kabbalah actually means to receive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also means the tradition, but it, it, it means to receive. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, it was only passed down individual to individual. So there was never a class where you could go learn Kabbalah. There was never a book you could read about it. Somebody in your family had to pass it down to you. And mm-hmm. I, James, I think I think you touch on such a good point that we don't monetize not only the you know innate desire we all have to expand our knowledge, but we also don't incentivize people to pass down the the knowledge that they have accrued. And so there's this there's this old kabbalistic idea that the best thing you can be is someone who gives every time you take. So you're kind of like a conduit at that point. You're trading every time you receive something. And and, and it kind of actually, you know, another parallel to that is there's this idea in the 12 steps. You know, I I actually don't think the 12 steps is that effective when it comes to drug addicts. But there is this cool idea that you do all these steps, you learn all these now, you learn all these different life lessons. And then the final rule, rule number 12, is that you will pass along this wisdom to somebody else who's struggling. And I think that's I think I don't think there's a better thing you can be in this world is someone who passes down things that mm. you know have utility. So I think that's, that was such a profound point, James. Which is a lot of what the Bible was teaching, right? Mm. And that's a lot of what right. the, the purpose of the Bible was to, to, to carry on that knowledge and wisdom over thousands of years exactly. that has been gained to move towards that target of, of being a better person. You, you know what I mean? And we, we've deprived people of that. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's uh, it's strange times we're in for sure. <laughs> Just to, but I have hope. I mean, I think that these yeah. times could be the 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 catalyst that mm. reverts us back to you know because I mean, COVID is obviously a terrible thing, but I think the one great thing that came out of it was that for a brief moment, mm. people could take a step back and think, what yeah. would I do if I wasn't only interested in fulfilling the interests of corporate corporate corporate, mm-hmm. corporate, yeah. corporate I, i've seen way more positive I, I, than I've, negative from from covid but go ahead you I, I liked your post the other day that i reshared it you or i or i shared it you said uh if there was ever a year that tested mm-hmm. what you have and 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 tested your character it would be 2020 and i think yeah. that's that's absolutely true so well and yeah. it, it just shows for everybody on an individual level, however transparent they may or may not be, but at least they've got to see it if if they're at all look in, within themselves. And okay, because normally, like like last year, two thousand nineteen, we we're just spoiled, like whatever, go go go, materialism, materialistic, and uh, spoiled, like all just spoiled children, whatever we're doing. And, and people still complained. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but 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 now <clears throat> it's like you ripped apart our, our like neuro network, our uh, nodes of all of our network of who that we are in all of our brains being connected to do certain things, whether that's go to work a certain way, uh, go to dinner a certain way, uh, go to traffic, go to uh, events a certain way. 
And all that, so all that we did was we quit doing that the same exact way where it's like a little bit more at home and whatever else. And what's really going on is that people are having to see all these things that normally they try to avoid seeing, which is themselves. And so we see it now more than maybe ever in history, especially like the way the internet is and everything right? of like really like what's under the hood of individuals and the, the, the culture. And, you know, like, I feel like on the global level though, I don't know, maybe it's my narrow minded uh, just being in America, but that like the, the only ever, the only, like, I think they were like, there was some terrorist thing last night or the night before in, in France, but it's like, eh, nobody wants to talk about that or think about that. The only thing anybody cares about now is the election in America. Like everybody just wants to project right. on that, even if they're in well, whatever corner of the world. Go ahead. I think what you're touching on is, mm. and I know it's kind of become cliche to say this, but I think 2020 mm. funny enough is kind of the archetypal year of clear vision, you know, 2020. Yeah, and yeah. Because we've had all these things. We've had a president that disrupts the status quo. Mm -hmm. We've had an election that disrupts the status quo. We've had a pandemic that disrupts it. We've had a civil unrest that disrupts it, which, yeah. which kind of, you know, invokes an experience that allows you to really step out of yourself and think like, what, first of all, like, who, like, who am I as a person? Why am I mm -hmm. here in, in the universe? But even at a, at a reducing level to a, to a more pragmatic level is, well, where do we go from here? And I think right. that people weren't asking themselves that question enough. And so it was bound to get to a place like a, like a, like a convergence where we all had to do that. And so all these things kind of seem, it almost seems planned to me, but even if it's not, it's still significant in, in the sense that it's caused yeah. us all and forced us all to question things that in, the, in a way that I don't think we did previously. Yeah. It just, it just makes me more than anything ever that I thought could be look at everyone uh, from myself up to the president and everyone else in the world, just look at us all more pitifully that we are mm. pitiful and pathetic. And because it's like, if you look at what we're going through, yeah, sure. There's like a real virus and a real election, all these things. But like, like, like if you would have said, okay, what can make the world lose their minds like a year ago? And if somebody said, um, the, a 1% chance that they might get a cold, then you would be laughed out of the room. <laughs> but that's really what happened. And, and yeah, I know there's a lot of reality to that, that sure, there's like, because of that 1% chance that some people might get uh, this or that viral disease, uh, some okay. people are going to die and everything. Sure. But that's really what's going on. Be and, I, but, and the reason that I think that's important is because Early on, when we didn't know what it was, like back in uh, March and April, there was a huge like uh, coming together feeling like, hey, we're going to uh, right. protect each other from this. We're going to be there for each other. But then what happened is people put as long as we remain six feet away or, or whatever. <laughs> but but people are like, OK, I put my identity into uh, overcoming this thing that now we figured out is kind of a thing, but not as bad of a thing as we thought it was going to be. And so now I have to defend that identity. And because uh, it's not like there's aliens out in the street shooting people. It's that 
I have to choose to sacrifice to be at home rather than dancing on the club or whatever the heck else I might want to do. I have to make sacrifices. And that's what yeah. I, think, I think that's really like the core of the frustration is everybody's being asked to make some kind of a sacrifice, whether that's a mask or this or that or the other thing, some little inconvenience. And then it's like, oh, if, if I make the sacrifice, then God forbid if anybody else doesn't make the same sacrifice or more, then I'm going to like uh, shame them every way that I can for it. Is, right. is a lot so, of what's coming out. Go ahead. Isaac, uh, when did you start hating old people? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I get what you're saying. Um, I, I don't no, hate I, them. I, really I, do. just, I, don't, I don't hate them. I just want to kill them. With, with right, exactly. You want them to die. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, what I, but I get what you're saying, though. You're, you're, yeah. you're kind of saying that this whole pandemic thing has mm. kind of created all these advocates mm. who maybe were never advocates before, and maybe that's why they're fighting mm. so hard to argue that it's still a problem it's so they can have meaning in saying that I'm against this, this, this coronavirus so much that I, that I demand that you do, you acquiesce to all these things. And, and, I, and I find meaning in that. And maybe that's something that people didn't have before. So I think that's kind of an interesting yeah. point, actually. People, yeah. people like to feel like what they're, what they're talking about is meaningful and, and COVID is certainly yeah. a big enough topic to where you can find meaning in it pretty easily. Yeah. I, I don't know. For like a, quick analogy the way that i look at all this is like imagine if the whole world every person in the world were like a, a part of a car uh i don't know maybe a com- computer analogy would, would work better but we'll say a, a part a piece of a car all, like there's all the pieces in the car mm-hmm. uh, the, the motor and everything and then you what you do is you don't all the pieces are working good enough but whether you call it a tune-up or whatever you want to call it you rip out all the connection of you know the whether wires and hoses and everything else that connects all the pieces and maybe fluids and then over a short period of time you put back in all new connections and then they have to reconnect in a slightly different way and re go back online and then what's Mm. really happened in that and like back to like a human level is it's just been uncomfortable and we don't like it. <laughs> and, and so instead of being like, Oh, hooray, uh, we're not all going to die. Well, I mean, sure. Some people are, and that's horrible, but uh, it's not as bad as we thought it was going to be. So let's just try to figure out how to make the most of the economy and be there for each other. It's like, this sucks. And so I'm going to like loot and riot and cuss people out and act like people I don't like are fascists and all this other stuff. When really it's like, Dude, just gonna be that's there for so weird. Because I last night I watched that movie. Have you guys seen that movie where Adam Sandler is a famous comedian and Seth Rogen is in it? But anyway, he's dying of some disease and he doesn't want to tell anybody at first. And eventually, mm. he finally tells everybody. And then all of a sudden, he's better. And he's like, doesn't really want to tell anybody he's better because he kind of <laughs> feels like he just got good yeah, yeah. at being this sick dying guy yeah, and it yeah. almost kind of feels something similar to that it's like we mm. people are getting used to the idea that we're in that like or maybe they've convinced themselves so hard that we're going to die that now that you tell them we're not going to die it sort of it sort of creates some kind of 
cognitive dissonance. God, by the way, I hate that word, cognitive dissonance. It is the most <laughs> pseudo intellectual word, but it's a good, yeah. it's fitting. It, for it's that a real fit. term, though, isn't it? Yeah, so, I'm sorry. Should yeah, I it is, but it's just, it's just every fucking <laughs> new age overused? person says that. Okay. Shit, yeah. Oh, yeah. cognitive just being dissonance. Overused. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Although, I don't know. You could, you could maybe put a, uh, call it like will, willing unconsciousness or something like that. Which yeah, is, yeah. It, 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 which we do all the time. Like I, I, I kind of don't like that word too. But it, you could even just say people willingly, tr- you, or like an older cliche is like turn a blind eye to yeah. certain things, <laughs> and and a lot of it too is just like as we're starting to come back online. And sure, we don't we're not like totally out of the woods. Got it. But uh, like I wish we could be, be like okay. Like, even if a person believes I'm righteous because I have this belief in whatever mask and vaccines and staying at home or whatever, or the other uh, version or anywhere in between of like no mask, no vaccines, no whatever, whatever that you think that a, whatever each individual person thinks is the answer, at least since we know it's not like the end of the world, like huge amounts of people are going to die. We should be having pity for the people who are pulling their hair out. It shouldn't be like, but most people are just like still sure. killing each other and acting like uh, there's all these fascists everywhere and Hitler's everywhere, which is just out of their discomfort. But uh, what do you it think? is pity. Pity really is the right word because yeah, it's easy yeah. to be angry at those people. You know who taught me this is BJ Carpenter. Shout out to BJ. Yeah. You can transmute anger into pity. You can, someone could say something or, or believe in something that really upsets you. And obviously your first inclination as a human being is to be upset. But I think the healthy thing to do is just turn that into pity. Like, you know, it, it doesn't, it might, it might sound counterintuitive, but I think pity is a healthier feeling than or, anger sometimes. And this is almost like a cliche word, but along the same lines, at least empathy. Uh, and what it is, is it's that these, um, It's, it's like a version of egotism or a version of self-love that they had people have wrapped their identity up so much into whatever's going on or they don't know what's going on that it's, it's almost like narcissism. And I like the way you said transmute because uh, like one of my favorite books they talk about a lot uh, in his narcissism chapter, which I think is chapter two, he talks about transforming uh self-love or uh, narcissism into empathy and mm. but that that's what's really hard is i think that's kind of what people are going through it's like a, a version of self-love or overly tr- well what it is is and this is like the pity for them is they are um trying to refigure out their identity and refigure out their values and refigure out how to plug into the world it's hard so instead of whatever that they should be doing they are just trying to reestablish their identity which is really painful and it sucks and so then they just lash out at everybody and the and the antidote to mm. that which is was sadly a a liberal arts education and reading and studying the mm. greatest thinkers throughout history and learning how to think and analyze information mm. and make sense of the world um, if I could turn anybody on that may be listening that is that is mm. not familiar with Daniel Schmachtenberger mm. of that does the Rebel Wisdom mm. um, oh, podcast, yeah, yeah, you guys familiar with him? 
He is yes, a, very has good. done an amazing job in his five-part series. And he introduced me to a term uh, that, 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 I've, that I've adopted, uh, the information ecology. And when, when I heard that, I thought it's such the perfect way to describe. And why this is relevant is this is where mm-hmm. a lot of the, these people who are so outraged, everybody's outraged at the other yeah. side because they're all being fed all this information from both sides. And both sides, in many cases, are just they're, they're, all their opinions are based on misinformation. Um, and, and he talks about this, you know, and something that I've tried to adopt to, mm. um, to as sort of a tool possibly that can help in, in navigating our, our information ecology. Mm. So ecology is obviously just a, for you know, those who may not understand, just a group of organisms and right. the way that they, they interact in an right, environment, right? right? right. So, right. you know, almost everybody has an appreciation and a respect for the environment. And when we're out in nature, we're not just throwing our garbage all over the place and polluting it. Mm. But I, I, I think am. it's just, no, I'm just, <laughs> no, you're, I know you're I'm, not. I'm just honest. breathing on old people. <laughs> but I think it's, you know, we, we need to adopt the same sense of responsibility as citizens and realize that it is at least just as important not mm. to pollute the information ecology yeah. mm-hmm. as it is our natural ecology well, and, and to see it when it happens and, and call it out in, in and, empathetic ways if you can and, like what we're and, and one tool though that can be used to kind of help out with that is mm. a, you know us taking a, a first principles thinking mm. approach which is something that's been talked about from everybody from aristotle to um mm. more modern day thinkers like elon musk mm-hmm. you know and to to, mm-hmm. to quote elon musk you boil things down to the most fundamental truth that you can imagine and you reason up from there. So, you, you know, it's important that, that you boil things down or you get to the roots or you get to the most fundamental truth that yeah. you can possibly get to and reason up. And what we're seeing today with the, with the, the social media and everything online is mm-hmm. most people are starting up here at the right. top and then trying to raise right. it down. And it's, mm. uh, you know, they're dealing in an information ecology that is so polluted that Republican, right. Democrat, conservative, liberal, no, on the, neither side, right. regardless of, of where you are on the issue, actually understands the complexities of these issues. Um, and, and I just think it's it's so important that, you know, I wish we could teach more of that, that kind of that yeah. first principles thinking approach. A great analogy, if mm. I could, yeah. um, for that. And it's such a, simplistic analogy that sometimes when I talk about it with people, they're almost uh, offended that I bring it up yet. It's, it's, it's amazing how so few people adopt the lesson into their everyday life. And when it comes Mm. to things like politics, but typically something everybody has experienced, uh, typically in, in middle school, you'll have a teacher that will have Mm. the class come up in the front of the front of the classroom and have the class get in the line. And then the teacher will get on whisper something, yeah, uh, like oh, a yeah, phrase a or a game. sentence. You're right, right, exactly. That's exactly mm. it, you know, in the ear of the one student. And mm. then that student will whisper it into the next student's ear and along down the, down the line. Right. And then the student at the end is supposed to say what they heard. And mm. inevitably, every single time, what comes out the end is something completely different than what it was initially said. And there's no, you know, there may not be any, you know, there's no political motive, you know, or maybe no bias and maybe nobody meant to lie, but mm. it's just through the the passing along and, and uh, in the interpretation and mis- uh, of information that it gets to that point. And what people don't realize is when we're reading these Facebook articles and we're watching TV, yeah. 
you're starting way down at the other end of that line. Right. And what first principles, you know, thinking teaches is you got to get as close to that original source yourself Mm -hmm. as possible. And when I adopted that in my, in my life, it opened my eyes to a whole new perspective of how complex the world was. And it actually led to the, a couple of the podcasts that me and Connor had where I had, uh, done a lot of research trying to get as close as possible to first principles thinking on things like climate change and, uh, and, and issues with the education system. Um, but I think that maybe that was important to bring up because I feel like it's maybe a tool to kind of help with some of those issues that we're having. Yeah. And I think one thing that James, that you do really well, or, or, or an idea that you really embody is in, and correct me if I'm mischaracterizing you, but I think that you believe, like I believe that we should fight bad speech with good speech. You know, you can't necessarily, you can't necessarily eradicate bad speech, but what you can do is you can, you can look at all these companies that are clearly playing the telephone game or, or, or just being flat out manipulative and malevolent and, and, we can't necessarily stop them from doing that because that's their right to do so, but we can fight it with better speech. And I think that's really yes. important. Yes. It's such a shame that, you know, it's, it's sad to say that you, you can't believe literally anything that you hear that you have to take it upon yourself to dig as deep right. as you can, you know? And I, and I say, I, I use the term, I, I use first principles. First principles is really like you're like the, the, the ultimate, like for perfection, if you can get to it, mm-hmm. you know, that's, it's not realistic. You know, sometimes that's going to entail doing, you, yeah. you know, your own firsthand um, scientific studies and reading, you know, thousands of pages of economic studies. And, and you know, that's not realistic for that everyday citizen right. that, is, you know, is working, you know, 50 mm-hmm. hours a week, has, has a family to take care of and everything. Um, so, so, you, you know, you, but it's, it's something to strive towards at least yeah. to, to improve and, right. and to get better at it. And then sometimes just to admit maybe maybe I don't know, like there's mm. wisdom in saying, maybe I shouldn't have strong opinions on yeah. this and insult Ignorance. people who think differently than me. Cause maybe they know something that I right. don't considering I haven't done my own due diligence. Mm. Yeah. It makes me think of, um, right. we talked about this a couple times when we were doing the live streams back in like June or whatever, where, uh, uh, you've all know Harari made a good, uh, uh, presentation of humanism where it should not exclude things uh, you know like religion or science or anything else if it fits with the the right principles so in other words if we can make agreed upon pr- principles even for a secular society or whatever secular meaning uh, God is optional, not necessarily that God is a do or don't, but it's optional. But then you can say, these are the, the principles and you, these are the values. These are the things. And then he makes the point too, that you will sometimes fall short in that. But if mm. you make those uh, uh, principles, something that people will can and will follow along with, then you have a unified direction and you know how to, how and when to keep people in, in check. But, I think that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great point too. And, and <laughs> <laughs> sorry, wait, how long have we been going? Uh, like an hour and a half. Oh wow! 
feels like longer. Um, Sorry. Yeah, what I was going to say too is a great. Yeah, I don't think that's a, good a great thing. place to start. <laughs> no, that's a good. No, it is no, a good thing. Well, it just means that like. Time. <laughs> just kidding. An hour, an hour and forty, almost plus a couple minutes setting up. But go ahead. I was going to say thank you. It's, it's, that, that, that sounds closer to the correct. I, yeah. I was just going to say too that um, a good place to start if you want to look at first principles yeah. is right behind James. Um, there is the great books. Uh, by the way, did you buy that set or did you piece them out? I did. I, I actually bought it. It's and I got an incredible deal on it only because it's missing the last volume, the the Freud section. I have <laughs> Freud. Freud I have one. Freud right here, actually. Oh, I, have, I need that. It's, it's missing my in my collection. <laughs> I have. I, I I only have about half of them, so I'm okay. I'm, you're you're, you're yeah. piecing them together. Okay. Yeah, I go to thrift stores and I find them, but it's a great awesome. set. Um, yes. If anyone is interested in learning first principles, yeah. I mean, there's even um, there's even um, the thing about Mortem Adler is that he, it, when he codified this set, he didn't just include books that he necessarily considers great. He can he included books that are the most influential in Western culture. But he also mm-hmm. wrote a book called The Ten Philosophical Mistakes, which break down some of the problems in some of these books, mm. which really I think is like the the epitome of nuance is to be able to say, well, yeah, these books were all really influential, but here are some of the problems in, in, in a couple of them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. It's a great time. Actually, I'm in the process of reading uh, the Dostoyevsky's, uh, the brothers mm-hmm. Karamazov right now. I don't have Dostoyevsky in here. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty jealous. It's, uh, 50, it's 52. 52? Well, I got yeah, I guess there's different. 53. Ah, uh, see, yeah, yeah <laughs> but it's it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's fifty-three. It's a, it's a, Fifty is Marks, and then fifty-three is William James. But I don't have the. Two. Okay. Yep. 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 Fifty-one Tolstoy. Yeah. Yeah. Have you read the Ten set. Philosophical Mistakes? I have not. No, that's the first I actually heard of it. So I, yeah, I made a net mental note. Same guy who codified this. Yeah, it's yeah, really Mortimer good. Adler. Highly recommend. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah he's yep. he's interesting. He's got some interesting uh, interviews you can find on YouTube too for anybody who's not familiar with him and wants to kind of get an idea of his, his thought process. Watched his lectures actually. Yeah, yeah he has. BJ yeah, also put me onto a book that he wrote called How to Read a Book. I don't know if you ever heard of that yes, one either. Yes, I got it for my son. Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. But yeah. Great for people on a time on a time budget. Yeah, I like the way I I because. I, I, uh, sometimes people will say I'm a slow reader, but I, I I like the way Mortimer Adler teaches it. And then full disclosure, I haven't read that book, but I, I kind of read summaries on it. So, um, but just really taking your time, more of studying it rather than just reading it to, to breeze through it and making all the notes and, and, the, and the note cards, how, how he says to make it. Um, so that you're really understanding. Yeah. And I've actually, I've never read it either. BJ just explained it to me. And he said that basically the idea is that if you're unsure, if you want to put a bunch of time into a book, what you can do is you can read the first few pages of each chapter enough to where you get like the gist of each concept being laid out in each chapter. And then after that, if you find that it's valuable, you can go back and read the whole thing. Or if you find, you know, maybe I I didn't need the the more technical stuff. I just kind of needed the thesis I don't need, you know, I'm not a physicist, so I don't need to understand the real intricate aspects. I just need it. Okay. You know, then you can right. move on to the next book. The only Maybe. Thing I'm kind of against that. I'm kind of, I'm sorry, just one point I wanted to make. Is yeah, yeah, I, I think we've gotten, I've kind of been, been really against that type of thought process in books. And I've heard other people make that point, but I think we've gotten so with, with our shorter, our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter and shorter mm-hmm. with the internet and the way we take in information that I think too many people are looking for that shortcut and just want to read a, you know, a few pages and they want to skip over the boring and the more technical intricacies. But sometimes 
you know, inside the, that boring and technical stuff is really where you begin to understand why things are so complex and the way they work. And I think um, that that's part of our problem. So I don't necessarily like going in that direction where we're skipping more. Well, I think that that's why I bring up uh, in the video I, that, that we did for the daily discussion, Connor, I mentioned about how Jordan Peterson's book can be uh, long and seem superfluous and boring at times, but it's those mm-hmm. boring and superfluous parts that once you get through them and, and slay that metaphorical dragon, there's that that's when you get that tr- metaphorical treasure mm. on the other side. I so I don't completely yeah. agree, actually, with the, with the aspect of the or the idea that we have these really short attention spans. I will, however, say that and right right now, by the way, BJ has that copy of Maps of Meaning you sent me. He's he's excavating through it right now. So awesome. you guys have to talk about that. But he but I will say that some of this stuff in these great books is so technical that it's really beyond my cognitive capacity. Now, obviously I'm just speaking for myself, but there are, there really are facets of this book that I could never really comprehend no matter how many times I studied them. Uh, or maybe that's not true. Maybe if I really went in depth, but I guess there's just some facets that are so technical that I don't really, I hate to say this, but I don't really care to know. I just like to be able to understand the idea in its primitive form. Now there's other ideas, obviously like you, like, you know, a lot of psychology and philosophy that I want to know in depth. But when it comes to like the mathematical aspect of these, some of these theories, I just, it's just, it's just so beyond me that I just, it just seems like the endeavor would be exhausting to really fully. Yeah, that's actually something, saying. that's actually something Adler, um, even uh, he, he acknowledges and has talked about that a little bit. And he's, but he's also talked about the point of how important it is to read things that really do challenge you because that's, that's it's almost like it's almost like lifting weights you know what i mean like you have to really yeah, challenge those muscles and true. work in order to improve and it's not it's maybe it's not a bad thing as you know if you're reading through a page and you have to keep googling certain words or or certain phrases to understand what they mean you know that that's part of that learning process and even if you only take away 65 yes. percent of a book you know that's that's still a lot when you're reading some of these extremely deep and, and profound books just just taking away right. 50 or 65 percent of that is huge you know so i just that's don't true. give up i guess Actually, my point is fact, don't I give up you know don't give up yeah i guess is my yeah. point on no you're book. absolutely right and i think maps of meaning is such a good example to use for that in fact yeah i agree with that so much that you know i read maps of meaning it was a really challenging read it was so very superfluous mm-hmm. like you said but i got through it and, and, I, and i really got a lot out of it and then I read this other book called Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow, which is mm-hmm. also a pretty technical book. And yeah, I will yeah. tell you that with just between the maps of meaning to this, I was able to fly through this, even though it's pretty right. technical. It, it was like right. it was it was suddenly easier to read than it would have yes. been had I not read yes. maps of meaning. And too so too actually, many people give up totally and quit before that. then, and they're so neglecting yourself of so right. much knowledge and wisdom when, when when they do that. So that's so awesome you got through it. And I actually have that same Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow book up on my bookshelf. It's a good book. So that, yeah, it, it is. Yeah. Um, I was just gonna say that we could nerd out about books for a little bit longer. But. For, for a minute, yeah. <laughs> um, I find <laughs> I find that the the better previews is at the end of chapters and at the like first and last chapter of a book, uh, mm. especially especially toward the end. But I kind of think of it how that. Well, and I think that the point of that. Uh, that the BJ was making and that was in that book was not that we should just skip those books if or, right. or, or, or whatever other than those parts, but <clears throat> like start with an overview and then 
you know, because like, I'm sure we would all love to read 10 books a day if we could, but we can't, you know, there's like thousands of books or at least hundreds of books that we would love to get through. So since we can't do that, we figure out what is really going to draw us in. And so we sometimes will kind of look at a preview version and then say, okay, uh, this is yes. very, very interesting and then get into it. Agreed. And um, I kind of think of it how, like if you look at a house, uh, the most important parts are the roof and the foundation. But uh, so, and that's the same thing with like writing is they will, if they're good at all, not like on a Kanye West rant, but if they're a good uh, <laughs> writer, they'll have a really good beginning and a really good ending. And then, but then all that stuff in the middle is that much better if you got that stuff in the middle. And my sort of solution is uh, I, I just really like audiobooks for that reason, because then in the, in the boring parts, I can, because the thing is to like, just pick up a book and like stare at it for uh, so, sometimes it would take five or 10 or 20 hours to, to get through a book. All you can do is, you know, break it up or like make yourself sit through the whole thing or whatever. But it, it's like very uh, taxing on it. You know, it takes all your whole body and your whole energy. But yes. if you now there's so much on, uh, you know, Audible and other apps that even have them for free where uh, even even if you're not like getting distracted doing something else, but just being able to like relax and not put like 15 to 25% of your brain in the, you know, visual cortex, but just like close. Your, I, that's how I got through a lot of the audiobooks that I got through when I was like on a huge uh, tearing through a bunch of audiobooks is just closing my eyes and listening because if, if you, yeah, because if you pick up a book and you're looking at it, that takes at least 15% of your cognitive power, sometimes 25% or more just to like focus on mm -hmm. a page and right. your, your eyes and your body into it. Uh, and, and yeah, it's, I don't avoid regular books. I, I get through them, but I, I'm almost like 90% do audiobooks only because I can get more out of an audiobook. And I'll usually sure. end up doing both but I can get more out of an audiobook if I can get out. Yeah. Audio. I remember when you were making fun of BJ for having like a, a garage full of books, yeah. you got like 4,000 books and you're like, yeah. yeah. And you pull out your phone. You were like, yeah, well I have the internet. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like BJ though. I can't, yeah. I, 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 I've me listened too. to some audiobooks, but for, for yeah. me, and I think that's kind of everybody's brain works, you know, takes an in information sure. maybe yeah. a little bit differently, but for me, I have to have the, the hard copy. And I, I think that extra concentration mm. that you're talking about that it yeah. takes to read a book, just it, it forces you and, and focuses like you in more. Process. And, yeah. and I you think make audibles some... are more meant for fiction, to be honest. Really? Yeah, that, that I can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like to go through and highlight and make notes. And sometimes that, that's not as, as easy to do when you're when you're doing, even though there you can on, on audible, you can you can kind of stop and make make not right. you know, electronically mm. make your notes there. But it's not quite as easy. But if I just I, if it's a just good a little book, bit of danger. If I'm really into it, I'll have either yeah, audio too. and physical if I can, or yeah. audio and uh, digital, um, just because, like, my mind will sometimes if it's if it's like really engaging me, my mind will start doing two or three different things with the information at once, and those are good things. So then by the time it gets to the end of the chapter, then it's like, 
Yeah. In the words of Kanye, like symphony concluded. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but I can't really do that as well if I have to just focus on the just, paper. But everybody's different. Yeah, people got to be just just careful that you make some good points on kind of the summaries uh, on some mm. of that stuff. But you have to be very important. Right. I, I can't stress enough that, you know, there are no shortcuts to wisdom. Sometimes the devil was in the details and yeah. something, and you know, and when you miss some of those details, you know, what make makes ideologies so strong mm. and attractive sometimes that there's always a little bit of truth to them. So sometimes right. when you're just, right. you know, glancing over stuff, and I'm, I don't think you guys do this, but for anybody yeah. else that may by miracle be, be interested in our, in listening to our, our conversation, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's important sometimes that the devil is in the details. And even though something, you know, on the surface level skimming through might sound good. Um, there's always true, you know, there's truth. I can't can't imagine feeling like I have learned a lot or I'm I'm going through a a period of time. And I would say I've learned a lot this week or this month or this year without being able to go through whole books. Yeah. And I mean that there've been times in my life that way where I'm just like not getting into books but if I'm not getting in through whole books, then that means all the information is just like these like regurgitated sound bites, whether yeah, that comes from exactly. other people or Facebook yeah. or magazines, whatever the case. Yeah. But like really good ideas that'll like uh, help expand your mind and everything else, they come in book form. Of, of yeah, like, yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, they would take. Chapters. What do you guys think? Uh, Should we uh, Doug- wrap it up? Go ahead. And, quick and, quick and question. That's a, maybe maybe a good one to wrap it up with. Um, yeah. Douglas Murray, I'm sure you guys are familiar with, has been doing the rounds and has a new book out, uh, the 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 madness of crowds. Hmm. Um, are you guys familiar with that, by any I, by any chance? Yeah, I'm very interested. No, you guys I haven't just, read it yet. Okay, yeah, I'm, I, I'd, I'd like to get it too. He d- he did a. I was going to ask you guys what you guys are. I was just going to say we should all. I want to know what you guys are reading right now. Hmm. Dostoevsky. Brothers, yeah, that's right. You said that earlier. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, I just read reread the Physics of God because of the guys. I did that interview today. Yeah, I have it. Yeah, um, it's it's good. It's up there somewhere. I mean, he he makes it kind of BJ, uh, BJ has it sized. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, what's nice about that one? It's only like a, a few hours, so you can go through it, whether it's audio or quick physical. read. Yeah. Um, and that guy was actually, um, he's like, not only just like a nice guy, but he can just like go on and on about this stuff. <laughs> so, Who's the author? He was, uh, no, I was really, yeah, he was really interesting. Yeah. Joseph, Joseph Selby. I, well, if you go to the live and I'll have him as a edit for the podcast later, but, uh, yeah. So he's on the feed for the live on the Facebook group and then He'll be on awesome. podcast form in a couple of days. I'll have to check oh, cool. it out. Have to yeah. check hey, either of you guys, this is so I just want real quick. This is the one I'm getting ready to start because I'm just mm. finishing up with uh, my last book. Mm. Have you either any of you guys read Guns, Germs, and Steel? I have not. Mm, I've heard of it. I've, I've heard it's it very... was a Pulitzer Prize winner. Yeah. I've heard The Fate the... of Human Societies. I heard the left loves that book though. Uh-oh. really yeah <laughs> well I'm pretty sure it's a, yeah i'm pretty sure it's part of the oprah book club so yeah, yeah, yeah. well sense. it's it's just because i haven't gotten to it uh, uh, but basically it puts forth the idea that um societies fall for these certain reasons and one of the main ones is uh wealth disparity and 
he he may have a point to that, but in in the ways that you look at that in history, it's very different than this world that we're in now, where we don't even really have the the kind of wealth and the kind of money that we have. It's a new no one's ever gone before where we're at with we we can't we can't really compare it to, i mean we can draw some parallels oh that's a good point different. yeah, yeah. that's a whole nother hour long we should explore that down, more so. yeah i was gonna say <laughs> yeah. we should yep. explore that on the next podcast yes <laughs> yeah oh the the other one that i'm almost finishing that's like definitely maybe the most recommended of all time is um because <clears throat> i i've been trying to get to it it's like one that was like I just had it. I haven't gotten to it was um, uh, because they didn't have audio until like two or three weeks ago. Uh, Eric Neumann's origin history of consciousness, which um, Mm. out of any book that I've read or at all, it is the most, it sounds the most like a Jordan Peterson's Mm. and he's, he's even said as much Jordan Peterson, uh, but he so it's it's a great bridge between you know the Jungian books that are a bit hard to grasp and the Peterson books that are a little bit easy but still hard to grasp. But at least I think in audio form, Eric Neumann's Origins and History of Consciousness is within reach. I'm finishing okay. the book. I'll have to check it out. I don't think I've ever read yeah. it, but I think I've heard other people re- re- uh, reference it and refer it yeah, to me. So. For sure. Someone's telling me to read it now. All right. Well, uh, that was fun, guys. Yeah, man. Good conversation. We'll have to do it again. Yeah. 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 I I think we somehow, we somehow did it. We somehow got to these, uh, we went from like a circumambulation of all these different angles of why that the herd mind takes over and how to have pity for those who get sucked into it. But, uh, all right. Thanks a lot, guys. Good deal. Appreciate it. Keep it real. We'll do it again. Yep. Sounds good. Have a good evening. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks. Bringing complex ideas down to earth based on their value and group identity. This is The Daily Archetype.